Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Susie tonight. And our topic is Seek the Kingdom of God. The idea of this, you may be familiar with the phrase, Seek the Kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. It's in a passage that's just been talking about food and drink and so on. So it sounds like if you can get the God priority right, all these things will be added to you. It's a very um, attractive thought, isn't it? And yet life involves, it seems like the life of following the Lord also involves that taking up of the cross daily, a lot of loss and so on. Sometimes we, we wish, you know, we could have more of all of that, whatever it is, all, all these things that will be added. Happiness, joy, fulfillment, peace, fun, good looks, you know, physical pleasure, love and wealth and sense of purpose in your life. All, all that. Is, is, is the Lord able to add all that to us? And what is that kingdom of God? How do we seek it? So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. If you wish to join us, let's open with a prayer. Shall we, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us together in your name. You are the word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us as we open the pages of your word and seek to find you, to understand you and what it is that we must do in our lives. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Very nice to be with you. Sending love out to those of you who are out there in Internet land, whether it what I call this moment or some later moment and so on, those getting the audio podcast and all those beautiful people who are here with us in the room. Uh, seek the kingdom of God. Let's read this passage, shall we? This is in Luke chapter 12. There's a parallel passage in Matthew as well, but I want to start with Luke 12:31 because this is the uh, thing itself here. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Yes, okay, there's the familiar phrase. So let's go back a little bit and look at what the things are that will be added. So let's start at verse 22 up there. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Okay, so the context here, it's certainly in a literal sense, is just food and clothing. You know, it's very, very straightforward necessities of life kind of thing. Food and clothing. Uh, go on. This is a beautiful teaching of the Lord, isn't it? Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? <laughs> if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Yes, as you may have heard me say, if you watched the Bible study about anxiety a little while ago, it's a kind of amazing argument there that uh, it says, well, so think really hard. Can you make yourself a foot and a half taller? Uh, no, no matter how much you fret about that, it doesn't seem to make you, make you taller. And then he says, if you can't do something as small as that, why even worry about the rest? It's an interesting argument. You know, don't you realize you're powerless? And when you really think about the, the ravens, you know, um, it is an interesting thought, isn't it? 
It, have you ever pictured yourself as a, as a bird? You know, you've only got two things to work, you know, sort of your feet to work. That, that's it. That's all you've got. And a beak. So you can't, there's, there's not too much that you can do to, to provide for yourself and all that. They're certainly not building storehouse and barns and all that. And yet they're, they're being fed. Keep going there. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Yeah, and so if you think about the lilies, at least the birds can hop around or fly or two. The lilies are really just planted in the ground. It's a pretty passive thing to be a lily, you know. Not a lot of options for a career path or, you know, I mean, (laughs) there you are. And, uh, And yet the Lord takes care of the lilies, makes them beautiful. Go on, yes. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Mm. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Mm. Nor have an anxious mind. So eating and drinking. So it was food and clothing. Now it's eating and drinking and anxiety. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you need these things. Mm. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Okay, and let's read on another couple of verses down here. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Mm. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, let's just stop there. Thank you. And um, yeah, so don't be afraid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So it's not like the Lord wants to withhold it or something. If you seek that kingdom, the, the, the Lord is very happy to give that to us. But interesting, the two verses after saying all these things, you know, seek the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. And then two verses later, it says, sell what you have. It, you know, a moment ago, it's like you're going to be given something. But two verses later, it's like give up what you've already got. That's, you know, seek the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. And yet in context, it seems that there's something we have to give up first, put the kingdom of God first, and then we'll kind of get something back on the other side is the impression, is it not? Uh, provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth corrupts. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I love the way that uh, Swedenborg uh, writes about this kind of parable because right on the face of it, you've got plenty to work with there in a literal meaning about the uh, food, the clothing, eat and drink and so on. But Swedenborg explains that uh, at a deeper level as well, um, the food has to do with having love in our hearts. The drink has to do with having truth in our minds. The clothing also has to do with having truth in our outer selves. Uh, So it's also talking about how the Lord will give us 
the, the love that we want to have for others in our heart. The Lord will give us the truth that we need. You know, don't, don't worry about how will I get that. If you seek the kingdom of God, these things will be added to us. It does not say here, as I read it, that evil, you know, what all is included in things is a tricky little word. It doesn't say you'll be able to kill with impunity or adultery will be fine. It doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say that. What are these things? Yeah, they're, they're good things. They're, they're food and, and drink and, and clothing, good things that will be added. talks about having a treasure in the heavens. So getting heavenly things and putting your heart there, and then all these things will be added to you. So this is what we're pondering tonight, and I want to think about this some more. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 13, the very next chapter there, and pick up at verse 20 because there's a tiny little parable here about the kingdom of God. What is this? <clears throat> what's the, what is the kingdom of God, and how do we seek it? And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Hmm. And what, that's it, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's the whole parable. To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole thing was leavened. I would think of naturally of the kingdom of God as being a place or something, you know. But this is not talking about a place. This is talking about a process, isn't it? The kingdom of God is like a woman taking yeast and putting it in three measures of meal until the whole thing. Isn't it talking about a process that the kingdom of God is a purification process or something? Right? Like the yeast gets hidden in there. Three measures of meal. What are the three measures of meal? Swedenborg makes this kind of stuff irresistible. You know, it's like the, that the heart, the mind, and the actions or something. What, what are these three measures? And the whole thing gets leavened, gets processed, gets lightened. You know, the difference between that unleavened bread, which is, you know, very flat, it hasn't risen, it's, it's hard, and so on as opposed to something that's, that's, that's risen and light and everything um, because of that purification. That so the kingdom of God is sort of like a process. I want to go back. Can we go to the left through Mark to Matthew? I want to look at Matthew chapter 13. There's a, f a little story in here which is similar, but it doesn't say kingdom of God. It says kingdom of heaven, but it comes to mind. 13, toward the end of the chapter there... Uh, Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So mm. it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yes, that's right. And so it's the... That's kind of odd. I would think, you know, if I were rewriting the New <laughs> Testament, I would have the kingdom of heaven be like the good fish. 
right? They're, they're the good fish. But he didn't say that. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that caught fish of all different kinds. And then, again, it's a process, right? You see why it would come to mind in connection with what we were just reading? It's a process. And so there's a dragnet, gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it to shore. They sat down. They gathered the good into vessels to cast the bad away. It's a process. Like the purification that goes on with the yeast in the meal, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is sort of a sorting thing. And you see that to some extent, don't you, in, in, the, in the scripture that we're centrally studying tonight, that seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Let's go to Matthew 6. Go to the left, go to Matthew chapter 6, because you have the parallel passage here in 6 verse 33. The wording is slightly different. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Yes, you can tell it's a parallel passage, but it throws in the first. Don't just seek the kingdom of God, but seek that first and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Mm. So seek that first. So it's interesting the kingdom of heaven is likened to sorting through fish and getting rid of the bad ones and keeping the good ones. Hmm. So how do we, what are, what are we, how do we follow that teaching? What, what are we supposed to be doing? Let's go, um, I don't know, I want to jump around and look at some different passages here. Let's go back to Luke, shall we? Turn to the right. I didn't get these or, in any kind of magical order tonight. Uh, but Luke 17, how about that? Famous, famous passage. We'll start in verse 20 of Luke 17, where the Pharisees come and ask him a question. By the way, that Matthew 6.33 is the first time in the New Testament where the phrase kingdom of God occurs, just for what it's worth. That's the first time you ever hear about it. So it's interesting that he hasn't been sort of announcing or defining or carefully explaining the kingdom. He just suddenly says, seek the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you, but hasn't really explained what that is. Look at Luke 17.20 here. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, mm. he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now that is really amazing, isn't it? Because I think there are a lot of Christians in our world today who are still thinking the kingdom of God is going to come with observation. You're, you're going to physically see it. It's amazing the Lord said straight up, you're not going to see it. It's not going to come that way. It's not an outward thing. So the Pharisees have picked up this idea of the kingdom of God and they ask, well, when is that going to come? So they're obviously thinking of it as, I guess, uh, a different sort of political order or, or something like that. One hesitates to even use the word political this close to a U.S. election, but um, they're, they're thinking of a different order coming in the kingdom of God. And he says, you're not going to be able to see it. It doesn't come with observation. It's within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So whatever this sorting thing is that the kingdom of God involves, it's some sort of an internal sorting. Hmm. Well, what, what, what is that exactly? What, what is going on there? Um, 
Oh, there are some good teachings in Scripture, aren't there? Let's go to the right and go through John and get to Acts chapter 1. I just thought we could see here that um, in addition to Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God when he was in this world, um, it's at the very beginning of Acts in chapter 1, it talks about Jesus, all that he did and taught... And then verse 3, we're just jumping in the middle of a sentence here, maybe. But um, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, in those 40 days between his resurrection, when the tomb was found empty, and then the ascension, he was teaching them... <coughs> sounds like all the time about the kingdom of God like that was a focus of his teaching after he was resurrected as well as when he was in this world I just found that interesting um, while we're on a swing why don't we keep going to the right go to Romans want to go almost to the back Romans chapter 14 Verse 17, so, so Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God while he's alive. He's talking about it after he's resurrected. Paul is talking about it here in his epistles to the Romans. Look at 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, those sound like... I mean, righteousness, I think, is about the way that you live, but peace and joy in the Holy Spirit are feelings within you. And it's interesting that that passage would say it is not food and drink because the passage we opened with, Jesus was saying, seek first the kingdom of God and the food and drink will be added to you. And so Paul is clarifying it, it itself is not a matter of eating and drinking, but if you get that right, maybe the eating and drinking will will fall into place if you put those two teachings together. Uh, let's look at a chilling passage. Turn to the right. Go through First and Second Corinthians. And I want to get to Galatians there, chapter 5, that speaks about the kingdom of God and what we have to do to be there. And Paul gives a helpful, if chilling, list of the mm -hmm. works of the flesh that keep us from entering the kingdom of God. So 5.19 in Galatians. Excuse me. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, mm. fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. So that's quite a list. And that says if you're practicing those things, you know, if those things are kind of part, part of your ongoing life, uh, you don't inherit the kingdom of God while that stuff is going on, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And these are called the works of the flesh. Mm. So those are some of the things. So you see why I mean when it says all these things will be added to you. 
you put the passages together, adultery is not going to be added to you. You know, that's, that's not one of the things that's going to be added. That, that's incompatible with the kingdom of God and all these other things, lasciviousness and heresies and murder and drunkenness and all that. Uh, is not going to be part of it. Let's read the next verse because it's a little more uplifting. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Mm, and then this very important statement. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yeah, now that makes the, seek the kingdom of God, that's the crucify, <laughs> so the price is pretty steep, you know, like uh, it, it's not going to be simply, oh, seek the kingdom of God, and everything's going to be great the next day. Uh, it's talking about this as a crucifixion of the flesh with its affections and lusts, but think about that with the passions and so on. Uh, you know, friends, don't you, from experience that when you stop doing something that in some way you have loved to do or been addicted to in some way or another, it really bites into you, doesn't it? It, it really cuts deep. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how changing those things and the more sort of external behavior is, it seems like the harder it is in a way. And uh, so this crucifixion is taking up the cross daily uh, laying aside those things to try to make the Lord more important. This is not talking about a simple process, but the kingdom of God is a process, and it's here are the good fish. They go in these vessels. Those are the bad ones. These go over here, you know, sorting things out. The, the, the part of the process has to do with sorting. Let's wander further to the right here. Go to things that don't start with a T and then things that do, First and Second Thessalonians, <laughs> and get to First Timothy chapter 6. That's before. Because you could be, yeah, go to the left from there. It's to the left of Hebrews and all that. It's shortly before Philemon and Titus there. First Timothy chapter 6. You know, there, there's this thing in the world called the prosperity gospel where people have... Um, maintain that the way that you can tell if someone's really Christian or not is their bank account or how do they have a private jet or, or what, you know, the Lord must really love them and must be very blessed and so on. And, um, and yet there's this fascinating passage that, that speaks to this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 5. Uh, we'll have to start at verse 4 just to try to get half a sentence going here. But <laughs> this is Paul talking to Timothy, who's a minister. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions. Yeah, some of the same list that we just saw, right. Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute <laughs> of the truth. But wait a minute, I love <clears throat> useless wranglings. Okay, go on. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain? Oh. From such, wow. withdraw yourself. Wow, it said it right there. Say that again? Supposing that what? Suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From wow, so this is a yourself. bad thing to suppose that godliness is a way of getting financially ahead. But look at the next verse. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, hmm. interesting. Okay, so godliness with contentment 
that's a good thing to gain. But if you sort of misidentify physical wealth as equaling godliness in some ways, you're on the wrong track. Now, it just amazes me when things exist that go so firmly against Scripture, but there it is. And um, let's turn to the right and go through Hebrews and James and Peter. Go to 1 John chapter 2. This too came to mind. When you're talking about sorting and a process and what's the good fish and the bad fish and what's the kingdom of God, look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And there you go. This is somewhat saying a similar thing, isn't it, to what Jesus was teaching at the beginning of this evening, that that um, the, the will of God abides forever, but the world passes away. Uh, those of you who have read Swedenborg know that he talks all the time about love of self and love of the world. This is what he means by love of the world. In other words, it's a kind of materialism. Um, it, it's loving the things of this world more than God and heaven and, and so forth. That's what it's talking about. It says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And then it lists all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. Well, Paul just gave us a helpful list of what those look like. You know, pretty nasty list there. The lust of the eyes, which is such an interesting phrase. It seems to fit with the Ten Commandments about coveting. You know, the lust of the flesh, doing stuff. The lust of the eyes. And um, the pride of life. Pride of life. Uh, these, are, these are the things that are not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So you get that sense again of like, hey, try to dial this down, dial that up. Try to make God more important than this world in your life. And then all these things will be added to you. Um, okay, it might be time to go back to Matthew. Let's turn to the left. Go all the way back to the Gospel of Matthew there. Chapter 11, verse 28 at the end of that chapter. Because the Lord has some comforting kind of words here. <clears throat> Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's right. doesn't say the Lord has no yoke or no burden. Uh, doesn't say, I'll just get rid of your yoke. But he says, take my yoke. You know, try, it, try it my way because that's easier than the way that you're doing it. You're heavy laden. You're laboring and everything. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And look at how I do it because I'm, I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Find that comforting. Um, okay, a couple of other teachings. Mm. How to introduce this. Um, did you notice in our opening reading in Luke 12 that it talked about anxiety a few times? 
It says, do not seek what you shall eat or what you should think, nor have an anxious mind. It said, at the beginning of that reading, it said, don't worry about your life, right? So it's talking about a way not to worry. When I think about extreme worry and anxiety, I think about uh, Leviticus chapter 26. So all the way to the left in your Old Testament, you go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus has some delightful curses in it. And uh, I want to go to Leviticus chapter 26, um, verse 36, because these threats are that if people don't hearken to the Lord and do His commandments, various different bad things will happen to them. And this one often just sticks in my mind, 2636. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. I find that actually very sad. And, I, you know, you've all been in a situation probably where you're walking along at night and then you hear a noise behind you as just a little leaf, you know, skating along the, the asphalt or something. But, but it sort of terrifies you because you, you hear a noise. Uh, what this is talking about, this is a picture of what it is like not to have availed yourself of the protection of the Lord. It's really terrifying. I think sometimes people think of, you know, evil spirits as being all confident and, you know, bold or, or something. But, but the way Swedenborg describes it, there's just a lot of fear and terror. There's a really deep-seated sense of fear, which is so sad. And the Lord would love to be able to take that away. But if you just, if you won't do the commandments, how can the Lord, you know, if you don't put the kingdom of God first, how can he give you all the things that he wants to give you? So this is a picture of what, what you get on the other side in a negative sense. Um, while we're here, let's go to the right through Numbers to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And I want to look at 4, 28 and 29 because this talks about seeking a little bit. And there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Now this is about, if you read verse 27, it's talking about the Lord scattering people among the nations if they don't follow His commandments. Same sort of theme. And there you'll serve gods, but, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Mm. So there's an idea of how we seek the kingdom of God. At least one sort of how is with all your heart and all your mind. You know, that's what it takes. Uh, and it's kind of amazing to say even when people are scattered, you know, the Old Testament idea that people are going to be scattered hither and yon, even when you're there, you can find the Lord from there if you seek Him with your whole heart. Isn't that what it says? You know, seek the Lord and you'll find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and all your soul. Okay, uh, let's go into the middle of the Bible to the Psalms. These are just various different things that come to mind and then things will be just magically wrapped up at the end of this Bible. So it's just going to be amazing. Okay. <laughs> Psalm 84. Let's go to Psalm 84. Mm. Look at this about a shield in verse 9. 
O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be in a, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. A shield. This is so important. A sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. See, it says uh, all these things shall be added to you. Here it would say all good things, right? No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. It's talking about life after death. A day in your courts is better than a thousand. And isn't that putting the Lord first? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than live in the tents and wickedness and just do whatever I want. You know, that's, that's putting the Lord first. And why? Because the Lord is a son. He's both a son, you know, radiating this love and light, but he's also a shield. There's, there's protection from the Lord. He'll give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. This is in the future tense. It's not that you necessarily get it in a huge, you know, infusion right now. But over time, over eternity, the Lord wants to give us every, every good thing. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Uh, turn to the right and flip through. You go through Isaiah. You'll get to Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah 29. Another beautiful passage. Again, it's talking about people being in the captivity because people disobeyed the commandments. 29 verse 10. Let's pick up there. And it gets... Really beautiful there. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. To the holy land, meaning, you know, compassion and love and truth and so on. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. Now, that is one of the most magnificent scriptures in, you know, in the book. Uh, I know the thoughts, I think, toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That's, he's not trying to crush us or whatever. And look at verse 12. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Mm. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There it is again. How do you... It's got to be with all your heart. can't be a half-hearted effort. But if we seek him with all our heart, then uh, we'll find him. And look at verse 14. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Hmm. And I will bring <laughs> you back from your captivity. Like, like a parent with hide-and-seek or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Like sometimes you have to position yourself in such a way the kid can find you. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Yes, this is very, very beautiful. So again, all these promises that when we're in the captivity, even at our worst, if we seek the Lord with all our heart, all this will be restored to us. The holy land will be given back, you know, the land that we lost. It's just beautiful. Okay, let's go into the New Testament again. Last swing, I think, here. Let's go to Mark, which is the second of the Gospels. Mark chapter 10. Similar passage. Chapter 10 starting at 28. How about that? Okay. 
Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Yeah, now this is generally a very beautiful passage that the persecutions just snuck in there. I don't know, that should have been <laughs> edited out. But, um, but it says you'll receive a hundredfold, even in this, you know, you make that sacrifice in this life, you get a hundredfold. It does have to admit that it's not going to be persecution free, you know, because those who, for the, as the Lord says, the servant's not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. But so it will come with persecution. But nevertheless, you'll get all these wonderful things, the, the brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and so on, and in the world to come, eternal life. You, you, you know, you get everything after death. But many who are first will be last, last first. Talking about turning upside down, you know, or kind of inversion. Uh, turn to the right and let's go out in the epistles again. You go through Acts to Romans. I want to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in this odd collection of verses we're reading tonight. And I want to talk about the physical body and the spiritual body for a second. Um, look at verse 42. The whole question here is how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And so Paul is answering this here in, in verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Yes, that's right. I think that's very important teaching and certainly informs a lot of what Swedenborg says that we have this physical body that we're wearing here. We also have a spiritual body, which we already have, that gives us spiritual senses that are dulled as long as our physical senses are operative. But we have both of those bodies. But the difference is this physical body is subject to corruption, decay, sickness, death, and so on. Spiritual body, not. It's incorruptible. It, this body is sown in dishonor. The, the spiritual body is raised in glory. This is sown in weakness that's raised in power. So this is some of all that will be added to you is a body that never has a problem. Pretty sweet. You know, nice thought. Swedenborg says there's not even such a thing as hospitals in the, in the spiritual world. You don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, there's not the same kind of thing. And um, uh, power, right? Strength, glory, all those wonderful things. That, that's pretty nice right there. All these things will be added to you. And look at 2 Corinthians. So turn right through there and let's get to chapter 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to pick up at verse 16. This is really great. <clears throat> Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Mm, that's right. So that's that sacrifice on the outside. What was first becomes last, last first. 
um, that's that inversion and sorting going on. And I love this. 17. Yes. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It has felt like several decades on this <laughs> wretched planet, but it's just for a moment. Is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Mm. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I should remember to say that to myself, you know. Yeah, right. This is our light affliction. It's just for a moment. <laughs> That's right. And look at verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. 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 That's right. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Mm. And Swedenborg is fond of saying that there's just absolutely no ratio between uh, what is temporary and what is eternal. He says, think, if you will, something that lasted for 300,000 years when it comes to an end and you're going through the rest of eternity. Is that anything at all? It's nothing. It's nothing. The, the, the temporal is nothing in comparison with the eternal. So seek ye first the kingdom of God. You know, as usual, the Lord is sort of understating the, the stakes of this whole thing. So what is this kingdom of God and the sorting and how, how do we view it? All shall now be revealed, good friends. Um, I have a little graphic here. For those of you who got the audio, I'll try to describe it. Uh, there's sort of a big oval on the screen, and, and it's encompassing at the top, you have God. Then under that, love is written in red. And then under that, truth in blue. And then good actions in green. And there's a dotted line around God and love and truth and good actions. And then in the middle, I've written in brown, this sorting area. And then below that, upside down, you have first misdeeds in green, and then below that, bad teachings in blue, and then finally, evil passions in red at the bottom. And as I say, there's a dark line around that whole thing. Now, you might think, based on some of the teachings that we've read and just what you think, that the kingdom of God is certainly one definition would be the good stuff at the top, the love and truth and good action. You know, that's the kingdom. That's where God reigns and rules. That's, that's all the things that are responsive to God. And it's not God's kingdom. You know, you won't inherit the kingdom of God if you're doing all these evil things because those are misdeeds and they're following bad teachings and evil passions down here. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Swedenborg's system can tell this is kind of a map of the spiritual world as Swedenborg describes it. You have three heavens. The highest one is in love. The second one's in truth. The lowest one is in good actions. You have three layers of hell beneath that, which are opposite. The lowest hell is opposite the highest heaven. And then the middle two are opposite. And then the, then the lower ones are opposite to each other. And there's a sorting area in between that he says that he identifies with that great gulf, isn't it, in Luke 16, that it talks about the great gulf fixed, the rich man is in hell and Lazarus is in heaven and there's a great gulf between them. This is what Swedenborg calls the world of spirits, which is a sorting area. After we die, he says, we become conscious in this sorting area and then we go up or we go down. You're a good fish, you end up in the good vessels. Bad fish go down where, where, where the bad fish go. Um, but I was thinking also, Swedenborg often says that these things also exist in the abstract in a way, see, it says the kingdom of God is not a place, it's within you, and it's a process. It's like leaven in the meal. It's like catching all the fish of all different kinds. So you could define this higher thing as the kingdom of God, 
which is just sort of the heaven part, God and those three levels of heaven. But in a way, the entire thing is the kingdom of God. That's why it says the kingdom of God is a dragnet. You gather them all in, you sort them out, the good goes here, the bad goes there. Um, what I mean by that is that this is a picture of God's way of viewing reality. This is God's priorities, I might be so bold as to say. To him, love is the most important thing. That goes at the top. Truth is second. Good actions are third. And what is not good are these misdeeds and the bad teachings, the evil passions. They go down to the bottom. He doesn't try to extinguish them. If you're all about that, knock yourself out. You just can't hurt the good people up here. So you'll, you'll be cast down. You'll be down where those things are. But those are farthest away. And this is his sort. This is the way that he sorts reality. This is the way he sorts everybody. So, my heresy for this evening, good friends, <laughs> is that what we are invited to do in seeking the kingdom of God, a kingdom that's within us, not low here, low there, whatever, it's, it's within us, is seeking this shape in our life. It's not that you will be devoid of evil passions. It's not that you will not have bad thoughts and bad teachings in your head. It's not that you won't, won't do or have done misdeeds. But get them down in the basement. Cast them down. You know? Be the kingdom of God. So, try, as if of yourself, with God's help, to sort yourself. What is seeking the kingdom of God? What is this sorting? It's sorting out. So things come into your sorting area. It's called your brain, right? Your intellectual bread basket. Uh, that's where things come in and they need to be sorted. So you say, well, that impulse seems like that's not good. Like that's fun. It'd be fun. Zing. Woo you know, but better not do it. It's not, not a great idea. I don't think it would make them feel good or something. So you try to get the love part up above the zing part, you know, and try to sort it out. You're not, if God hasn't gotten rid of evil, you're, you're not going to get rid of it, you know. You lay it aside, you, you move it down in the basement. And the way that we're born, Swedenborg says, it's sort of bad news, but he says that we're born loving ourselves more than God and the world more than our neighbor. And this is not the good kind of love of self. He's talking about uh, narcissism, he's talking about being egomaniac or, or that sort of thing where your, yourself is more important to you than, than anybody else. You hardly know other people exist. Uh, Self-love and love of the world, which we read about, right? Said, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. All those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, uh, are, are not of the Father, they're of the world. Getting that saying, that's of the world. Okay. Oh, I think you're lust. You belong over here. Thank you for sharing. You know, oh. I think that's a vindictive, spiteful comment. Okay, you belong over here. Thank you very much. Oh, that's compassion. That's, that's selflessness. That's caring about the good of the world. You're up here. That's good. This seems like truth. You know, you're, you're over here. And so this, am I making any sense? This is how we seek the kingdom of God 
on them. Like you don't, okay, you could say, okay, I'll try to you know, pray every night or something like that. But we need something to be doing every day, don't we? Don't we need some, some task, something that we can work on? If the Lord says something as powerful as seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What a, what a rich blessing to think of all those things being added. He's saying that if we can emulate the way that he holds the universe, we're in good shape. I wrote, I don't know if I mentioned this for those of you getting the audio, but I wrote misdeeds, bad teachings, and evil passions upside down on this chart because when you're in that state of evil, then you're upside down and you view yourself as more important than God or any number of other people or something, you know? When, if you're into that bad teaching, you, you don't even want to hear the truth. Your bad teaching is more important than the truth. If faced with the most blinding truth, you don't want to hear it, you know, or you would rather do something. It's sort of the way the analogy that comes to mind is, isn't it true that um, you have carbon dioxide uh, and then you have carbon monoxide, which is a poison for us. And the amazing thing is that our lungs would rather breathe carbon monoxide. Like if you have, if you have both of those substances in the air, you will grab the carbon monoxide first, even though it, it kills you. It's amazing. But so there's, it's just a correspondence. There's something perverse in the human spirit where we sort of, by nature, want to go down here. You know, uh, uh, the Lord gives little children all sorts of blessings and angels around them, gives them all kinds of states of love and truth and selfness. And, you know, so I'm not saying this children are monsters or whatever, but we have that natively in us, as Swedenborg says, that we have this tendency. And so we've got to seek the kingdom of God, you know, sort this thing the other way up. That, that which is first, loving <coughs> ourselves, needs to be last. And the last, which is the Lord, was the last thing important to us first. It's like the one we had the other week, a Bible study on making the word central, how the thing that was way off at the periphery then moves into the center. Um, and the promise is pretty amazing. We hardly touched on it tonight. But what were the promises that we read? That for one thing, you could eventually find yourself in a situation where you are no longer driven by interest in adultery or revelings or drunkenness or all those sorts of things. You, you can find yourself in the situation. What did the Lord say? The, the plans that I have for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil. What would peace be like? Um, I've had a, a few experiences in my life uh, where I experienced, they were very brief, experienced just an extraordinary state of peace. One time it was for 15 minutes. And um, it was so devoutly to be wished that I would go back there in a heart, you know, that would be heaven. Like you don't need anything else, just peace. Like it just makes you realize you're in a way we're always subject to this noise from hell. We're in the sort of the rabble of some bad part of the world of spirits or something in our consciousness. And, and you're always sort of slightly in danger or something. And that peace just by itself is such a wonderful thing to think of really having like appropriate love in your heart, loving things that are beneficial to others rather than things that will get you put in prison. You know, that would be good. 
and uh, giving you insight, <coughs> insight into who other people are, what they need, how to be compassionate, insight into who God is, you know, an actual desire to be of benefit to others, and, and a, just a tremendous delight when you're able to do some good uh, to others. What magnificent things the Lord is offering us. What, what clothing and food that is. He expresses it in these most humble, mundane terms. But what he's really talking about is having a heart that works, having a mind that works, having this indestructible body that can, can, can leap and run and zip from here to there. And, and all these things, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. All these things will be added to us if we're willing to do this onerous little crucify the flesh with its passions and lusts, you know, to, to, to crucify this bit and hang it upside down down here, make that not quite as important. We're not going to get rid of it in this light. You know, I think the Lord can help us with that where it becomes quiet. Even after death, it's still there, but it's hanging down. He says it at the sides kind of thing. It's no, no longer an active factor in our lives. But get to the point where we actually resemble heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within you. When we have the kingdom of heaven within us, and the kingdom of heaven, as we talked about a while ago, we talked about the heaven project in Bible study. It's an eternal project. You're not going to nail this, you know, in your 30-day strategic plan or something. Uh, this, is, this is a long-term thing. But the kingdom of heaven is just, what did he say? The kingdom of heaven is not having all good fish or having only good fish in, you know, when you go fishing. The kingdom of heaven is catching everything and knowing which ones go in the which bucket. You know, that's what the kingdom of heaven is. So you're, you're working on it. You're working on things. You're getting this up the top, that down the bottom. The Lord is helping us do this sort. I think that's what the kingdom of God means. And I think that's a way that we can seek that. In our day-to-day lives, the more we can identify what evil is, what self-centeredness is, what materialism is, what it looks like, that sort of grasping, lustful sort of feeling that you get, uh, identifying what that is, trying to just keep that down the basement, lock the door sometimes, (laughs) and try to keep these higher things more active, make this a priority. Seek the kingdom of God. One other comment I want to say about the kingdom of God. I love this phrase, it's so brief, the kingdom of God, and yet it implies that there's God, but it doesn't say just seek God. It says seek the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would be God and all those people who are following God and turning to God and everybody in their relationship to God. Uh, It's both, if you see what I mean, it's both got love of the neighbor in it because there's the kingdom part, and it's got love of God in it because of the God part. Seeking both of those things, seeking the love of other people, helping them to turn toward God, and loving God above all, uh, those are the things. The Lord says if, you, if we seek Him with all our heart, with all our mind, uh, He will be found by us. <laughs> However, He has to engineer that. He will be found by us. If we seek the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added to us. Thank you for your kind attention, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we?
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We thank you for the light that you shine in our minds sometimes. Sometimes it's an uncomfortable light and we don't like what we see in ourselves. Remind us, Lord, that that light is a good thing. If we can see it, we're not in the dark, whatever the light may be showing us. Please help us, Lord, in our repentance to lay things aside that are in your way bit by bit. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Thank you for carrying us along this long journey. Thank you for that promise of all good things that are to come. Our Father, Father, who art art in the heavens, hallowed be thy thy name. Thy thy kingdom kingdom come, thy thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, so that we can become part of that kingdom.